0: Welcome to Parker Memorials Podcast of the eight thirty a.m. service. Our service includes modern style worship and an on time message from God's Word by Dr. Mac Amos. Now here's this week's message.
1: If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and be turned to James chapter five. James chapter five, and we're going to focus on verse fourteen. As we've been focusing on this priority of prayer and praise, as we focus on the priority of prayer. There are two things that whenever you come to this particular passage we've been dealing with about prayer that usually are kind of skipped over. There are things that are not focused on very much because sometimes it makes us a little bit uncomfortable. But I'm one, I'm going to teach you the whole counsel of God. Amen. We're going to look at every word and every phrase because everything in here is God's word, and He has a truth for us. So we're going to focus on those two uh, principles, or those two phrases that are typically ignored, especially by us in some regards, who are Baptist. Amen. Look what it says in verse 14. Here's the first of those. Is anyone among you sick? Listen now, don't fall out of your chair. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Here it is. Anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. That's one thing we don't talk about very much. We just go and we write on, pray. We need to pray and we can be like Elijah and pray. But we don't talk about this aspect of anointing with oil. The other is the fact that it says we are to confess our sins one to another. We don't deal with that very much either because that makes us uncomfortable. So today we're going to focus on this aspect of anointing with oil. And next week, we'll focus on this matter of confessing our sins one to another. and Why that is so important in this matter of effective praying, all right? Looking today at this aspect of the anointing with oil. And you need to write some notes because I'm going to give you a lot of verses to back up what we're going to be saying to help you understand it. So you're going to need to write that down or at least write the verses down. First thing, let's talk about the history of the anointing oil, the history of the anointing oil, oil and the practice, all right? The origination of the anointing oil is found in Exodus chapter 30. Hold your hand here, James, and go back to Exodus chapter 30. Exodus chapter 30 is when Moses was up on Mount Sinai. He gives them the Ten Commandments, but he also turns around and gives them all kinds of instructions about how to worship, how to build the tabernacle and the things that will go in the tabernacle. And one of the things he tells them in chapter 30, beginning in verse 22 through 33, he tells them to make anointing oil. And I want you to read that when you get home. But that anointing oil, it gets specific. There are five spices or herbs that were used in anointing the oil, five elements, four spices, and one of them was olive oil. And he tells them not only the specific herbs and spices and oil to be used. He tells them exactly the increments that are to be used. Now, here's an interesting study for you if you want to take a note and you're looking for something to study in your Bible. is go to study about each one of those spices or herbs and what they represent in regard to your salvation, your sanctification, and what they represent and what Christ has done, okay? So that's a good opportunity for you to see that and for you to study that, specifically how the anointing oil was made. But then there's a second thing that's found there. There are specific instructions and purposes for the anointing oil and warnings about misuse. I want to show you where that is. Look at verse 26 and following of chapter 30. And with it you shall anoint the tent of meetings, and the ark of the testimony, the table and its utensils, and the lampstand and its utensils, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering, and all the utensils and the laver and its stand. And you shall also consecrate them that they may be most holy... Whatever touches them shall be holy. Okay? He says, all those instruments that you've made, all those things that you made to be a part of the tabernacle, they're to be anointed with oil to make them holy and set apart unto God. Not only that, look at verse 30. And you shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may minister as priests to me. They were to anoint Aaron and his sons in order that they would serve as priests. So those servants of priests were to be anointed. But it says in verse 32... But it shall not be poured on anyone's body, nor shall you make any like it in the same proportions. It is holy, and it shall be holy to you. In other words, this oil is wholly set apart. It has a purpose in what it's doing, and that you're not to make any like it. It has a purpose, and in that purpose, it's to make things holy. It's not to be placed on your body just because you're here. Because why? Because we're sinners, and God's holy. Amen? And we can't come into the presence of God unless God does a cleansing work in our life, and there's going to Hold on a second. There's going to be a time whenever you're going to get to experience the, the anointing of God in, in your life. But the only way you're going to get that anointing of God in your life is because you've been made clean. You have to be made clean to be able to get the anointing of God on your life. Okay? So whenever you see that, it gives them instructions about how to make this uh, anointing oil and how to use it and also the warnings against it. Now, there were three groups who were anointed in the Old Testament. The first of those were priests. I'm going to give you the verses, all right? You see right here, but also in Exodus, in Exodus chapter 28, verse 41, you'll find that the priests, Aaron and his sons, were to be anointed with this oil in order to make them holy and acceptable, all right? So priests were ones who were anointed. Here's the second group. The kings were ones who were anointed. 1 Samuel chapter 9 and 10. That's when Saul was called to be the first king over Israel. And the prophet was told to go and to anoint him. Anoint him in preparation for him being a king. So when the ones who in the Old Testament were anointed. They were the priest and they were the king. There was one th- a third group and that were the prophets. It's found in 1 Kings chapter 19 verse 16. It's whenever Elijah was going to choose Elisha under the direction of God, and Elisha's going to be the next prophet, he tells Elijah, you're to go and pick Elisha, and you're to anoint him with oil that he might take your place or serve in your place. So in the Old Testament, there were only three specific groups who received that particular anointing. That was the priest, the kings, and the prophets. They were special, called by God, set apart by God, made holy unto God. And therefore, they received that anointing. And that's what you find in the Old Testament. But hold on a second. I want you to notice what it says back here in Exodus chapter 30, verse 31. That passage, I skipped it a while ago. But I want you to hear what it says. And you shall speak to the sons of Israel, saying, This shall be a holy anointing all to me, Throughout your generations. Did you hear what that says? This shall be a holy anointing oil. That's God speaking to me throughout your generations. Now that that tells you is this, that there may be a season. There may be a time when this anointing oil is not serving the same purpose that it did in their generation. There's something that's happening here in the Old Testament era where before Jesus comes, whereby that anointing oil is setting apart and making people holy and acceptable in a service and a work and a ministry unto God. But he says, this is going to be true in this generation. In this generation is what's going to happen. But it gives the idea that there can be a change. And oh, was there ever a change? Because, see, we don't just need to know the history of the anointed oil and how it was used. But what we need to know is this, that it didn't always, and it's not always, going to be practicing. Just like he said, it's not in every generation. And that change came when Jesus came. Wow. What happened when Jesus came? Well, let's talk about the to start with. You know, Jesus is the Messiah. Amen? And Jesus is the Christ. We call him Jesus the Christ. Well, do you know what the word Messiah and the word Christ mean? Both of these mean the same thing. You know what they mean? They mean the anointed one. The Messiah is the anointed one. Christ is the anointed one. See, Jesus is the anointed one. He's the anointed son of God. And and when do we find that happening? When do we find that there's a change in relationship to how this anointing happens from the Old Testament, New Testament, we find it in Jesus. Because when Jesus is about 30 years of age, he comes to John. You remember that? John the Baptist, who was baptizing. And he comes to John, and he tells John, John, you need to baptize me. And John said, you should baptize me. He said, no, you must do this to fulfill the law and the plan of God. And so what did John do? John took him in the water and John baptized Jesus. Now, this is the initiation of the ministry and the work of Jesus. This is when he's going to begin that earthly ministry of about three years. Okay? So when he baptizes him in the water and he comes back out of the water, what happens at that time? You remember? The Holy Spirit came upon him, what? Like a a dove. And the Father speaks from heaven and says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And that coming of the Holy Spirit, that coming of the Holy Spirit was the anointing of God. That was the anointing. It wasn't the anointing all anymore. There was a new anointing that was going to come upon Jesus and upon everybody who would be a follower of Jesus, all those who are redeemed, The anointing is not going to be with all anymore. The anointing is going to be in the Holy Spirit. That's what John had preached. He says, I I baptize you with water, but there's one who's coming who's going to baptize you in the Spirit. I'm not even worthy to unbuckle his sandals. He's so awesome. He's going to be the Messiah. He is the anointed one. And when Jesus comes, he says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when he baptizes him and the Holy Spirit comes to rest upon him, it is the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God upon his life. It's the beginning of a new day. It's the beginning of a new day, and and the beginning of that new day is that every person after Jesus who comes to God through Jesus is also going to experience the same anointing that Jesus experienced, not by the oil being poured upon their head, but by the Holy Spirit entering their heart. Did you get that? See, Jesus ushers in a whole different era, a whole different dispensation of time, a whole different working of God. And so we're on this side of the cross. So the aspect of the aspect of the anointing oil is totally different for us than it is in the Old Testament era. because we are first and foremost, we're anointed by the Holy Spirit. Now how do we know that? Well, we saw it in the life of Jesus, but how do we know how do we know that we also receive that Holy Spirit? Because of the promise of Jesus, because of the promise. Turn your Bibles to the Gospel of John chapter 14. I want you to see what he says in John 14. This is Jesus talking. In John 14, is where Jesus is about to leave his disciples. He's going to be crucified, and he's going to ascend to the Father, right? So this is what he tells them in verses 16 and 17. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. And I want to show you a little teach you a little Greek here. That word "another" there in the Greek language means another of the same kind, another of the same nature. In other words, when he says, "I'm going to give you another helper," it's going to be one. He's going to be one just like me. Who is he talking about? Well, in case you don't know who he's talking about, look what it says, in verse seventeen: "That is the Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold Him or know Him, but you know Him because He abides with you." And he will be in you. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the Holy Spirit of God. And that is a promise that Jesus makes to his disciples. He says, just as the Spirit has rested upon me. So when I leave here, as I've told you I'm leaving and you're grieving about that. I want you to know, he says in another passage, it's to your advantage that I leave. For if I don't leave, the Holy Spirit won't come. But if the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going, the anointing is going to fall upon you and the spirit of God is going to rest upon you and he's going to abide in you. That's the anointing that we get to enjoy because of what jesus did and how can we enjoy that because Jesus christ came and died on a cross and when he died on the cross and paid the price for our sin And if we believe in him, we can be forgiven of our sin We can be made clean and acceptable and therefore we become An acceptable vessel for the holy spirit or for the anointing of god. Amen That's why we're so blessed We're so blessed because we can be forgiven of our sin. We can be indwelt by a holy God because we've been made clean. That's why it's a whole different day than it was in the Old Testament. It's not that a few people are chosen and a little bit of oil is placed upon them for a special work. But rather, we all are invited to come and participate because Jesus Christ died on the cross for every one of us. All of us, he died on the cross for. Amen. And all of us can be cleansed by his blood from our sin, made acceptable, and that we can be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus said. Jesus says the promise is this. That same anointing that I have, which is the Holy Spirit, that promise that I have, that that will also rest upon you. He will come upon you. Now, when did that happen? Well, that's found in Acts chapter 2. Turn there for just a minute. In Acts chapter 2, it's called the day of Pentecost. Jesus has died. He's resurrected. He's been seen by his disciples. Now he is at the Mount of Ascension. The Mount of Ascension where he's going to go to the Father and he's, he goes to the Father until we're waiting for him to come back. Amen. But he told them in Acts chapter 1, he says, now you go and you go to Jerusalem and you wait until what I have promised you. Who is that? That's the Holy Spirit. Until what I have promised you will come and rest upon you. In other words, don't do one thing. Don't do a thing. Right then just go wait. Because you've got to wait to receive the Holy Spirit when he comes. That's the anointing that's coming upon your life. Then Acts chapter 2, when they're up in the upper room, it says, And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise with like a violet rushing wind, and it filled the whole place where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. That day of Pentecost was the the fulfillment of the promise of what Jesus had told his disciples. I will not leave you as orphans. The same anointing that is upon me will be upon you. The same spirit is going to come to you. He's going to rest in you. He's going to live in you. He's going to walk with you. He's going to talk with you. That is the anointing of God upon your life on the day of Pentecost. The promise of Jesus came to pass. So, we know that Jesus said... It's promised, now it's been fulfilled. Let me give you the testimony of this man, John. Turn later in your Bibles to 1 John, same author. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 27, he gives a testimony about this happening in his life and in, in all believers. Listen to what he says in verse 27. And as you, as for you, the anointing which you receive from him abides in you. And you have no need for anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it taught you, you abide in him. You know what that is? That's a testimony that John says right there. Hey, that anointing that Jesus said was coming, it's here. That, that anointing that Jesus says coming, not just for disciples, not just for apostles, that anointing rests upon you. John bears testimony that the promised anointing had happened, and it's available to every child of God. So I thank God that I don't have to have the oil placed upon me to set me apart, to make me clean, to make me useful, to transform me, to empower me, that I can be used by God. I don't have to have oil poured upon my head because I have the Holy Spirit within my heart. Amen? We are blessed. You ought to thank God every day. Thank you, God, that I live on this side of the cross. Thank you, God, that Jesus died on the cross for me, and I don't have to wonder if he's coming. He died for me. Thank you, God, that I live after the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came to indwell the lives of believers. Thank you, God, that you're here to minister to me and care for me all along the way and that I've been transformed, changed by the power of Almighty God. Thank you, God. You ought to thank God every day. For that glorious, wonderful blessing. Old Testament, the anointing oil. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit who anoints us. Well, now that brings us to this passage. You're saying, well, if it brings us to this passage, what is, what is this oil that it's talking about? What's, what's this anointing or, or working with this oil? The Ill, what's that all about? What's it for and why it's there? Well, it's scripture, amen? So it's truth. And there's something for us to grab hold of that we should know. So let's deal with that passage back here in James chapter 5. Let's talk about it. Go there to James chapter 5 and listen to what he says. Verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil, him or her, with all in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Well, first of all, because it's the word of God, we know that that is a valid practice and it's something that we should do. And what he basically says is this, if any of you are sick, if any one of you is sick, and that sickness, as we talked about earlier, could be physical sickness or it could be spiritual sickness. It, it could be the fact that you're, you're not where you ought to be in relationship with God. You're way away from God, and you need, you need God to draw you back. Or it could be a physical sickness in our life. But if you are sick, and you feel impressed in your life, then call the elders of the church together. Let them come and bring anointing oil, and to anoint you, and to pray over you. And to pray over you in the name of Jesus. We've talked about the name of Jesus, right? That's the work of Christ and all he did. And the way we have an opportunity to come before God is because of the name of Jesus. And it says a prayer of faith that they would pray in the name of Jesus. A prayer of faith that you might be restored or you might be forgiven. Call them that they might do that. So that's a command. If you're sick. It's okay. You can call. So here are about six or seven things I want you to write down about this passage. All right? First thing, this practice of anointing with oil is a visible sign of the recognition of God's presence. It's just a symbol or a sign. We already know that God's indwelling our life. We know that God lives within our heart if we're believers. But this particular act of anointing with oil... is a a symbol or a sign that helps to build our faith, build our strength, encourage us. In that time of sickness, in that time of need, it lifts us up what we need of recognizing the presence of God. He's already in my heart. He's already in my life. But this is simply a symbol or or a sign that affirms and encourages me that God is with me. And if you've ever really been sick, if you've ever known somebody who's sick, sometimes in the the midst of sickness, in the the midst of uh, of the depths of despair, you need, I don't care who you are as a believer, you need some way of encouragement. You need some way to lift you up, somebody that's standing with you. And that is what he says, in that time of sickness, in that time of need, if you feel led, then you can call, and here's this visible sign of the recognition of God. Second thing. It is an act of humility. You understand that? Humility, it says that God resisteth the proud, but God gives grace. Greater grace to who? To the humble. You want the greater grace of God? You want the It is humbling to invite and ask somebody to come pray for you or pray over you. You know what the essence of humility is? The essence of humility is a willingness to admit my need. That's why most of us are so full of pride. We won't admit we've got a need. We don't want anybody to know we've got needs. We don't want anybody to help us. We're going to do it all ourselves. But whenever you have to humble yourselves and you have to humble yourself enough to call somebody, to call the elders of the church to come pray over you, you're humbling yourself before Almighty God and saying, I need something that's beyond what I can do. And whenever you have a dose of humility, you're also having an invitation for the greater grace of God. And if there's no other thing that that did than just to humble us enough, that we would be asking and we'd be submitting ourselves to what God wants to do, that's pretty important. Amen? The third thing is this. It needs to be administered by the elders of the church. The elders is not necessarily a position as much as it is a description. When we have deacons, we don't have elders. Some congregations function with elders and some with elders, deacons. We have deacons. But elder really is talking about a, a, a position in regard to maturity. It's a person who is mature in their faith. They have grown in their faith. They have a close walk with God. They are in God's word and understand God's principles and God's truths. And therefore, here's this mature believer, a gatherer of these mature believers who pray a prayer of faith, who believe that God can do whatever God wants to do, and they're brought together to pray over this individual. Now, why, would it, why isn't it so important that it be an elder? Because if it, this person is mature, they're not going to get too focused on the all See, if if somebody's not mature and and they anoint somebody with oil and all of a sudden that person gets well, they're going to think the magic's in the oil. They won't focus on the oil when they're mature. They're going to find out. Look at that passage. They're going to find out it's just as important to pray in the name of Jesus. Amen? It's just as important to pray a prayer of faith, believing that God is there. That's just as important as pouring oil over the head of someone who's sick. But if that person is not mature and they don't understand and they do something like an act of pouring oil over somebody's head or anointing them And all of a sudden something happens then they begin to elevate the fact of the pouring on the oil and that's not to be elevated All the other things are just as much a part of that healing process As the anointing with oil. So he says Make sure it's elders are mature believers Now here's a question why is it that we don't practice this publicly in, in public worship? I mean, there's some congregations who, who they'll have at the end of the invitation, they'll have the pastor will be down there, ministers will be down there with oil, and they'll be praying for those who are sick. And I'm not, I'm not making fun of that, okay? But, but here's the question. Why, do, why don't we practice that in our public worship? Why don't we have anointed oil? Because that's not what it says to do. Go back and look at that passage. It says what? If someone is sick, let him call, let him call upon the elders to come and to anoint him with oil and prayer. It's not something that is to be done publicly where we make the invitation, okay, anybody who needs to come, we're soliciting, we're drawing people to come and be anointed with oil. That's not, that's not the purpose of it. That's not the plan. The plan is this, that if somebody is sick and they realize they humble themselves, they are to call there to initiate, not even their families. In situations, I've I've seen families who say, Man, you need to come anoint my loved one with oil. It's not not for you to say that. I know you want them to get well, and I hope you you would desire for them to get well. But they need to be the ones who ask, they need to be the ones who initiate it, and it's for their faith and because God has told them to do it. Amen? And therefore, we don't do that a part of public worship. Now, I anoint people with oil. Yes. (laughs) Did y'all hear that? Yeah. Yes, I've anointed people with oil. When they call me and they ask me to come and pray over them and anoint them with oil, I certainly will. And I'll keep on doing it, amen, until Jesus comes because I'm going to do whatever the Word of God says that we're supposed to do. Now, the, the the fact of the matter, though, they have to initiate it. We don't have healing services. We don't have all those kind of things. Why? Because they have to initiate it. But we believe that whenever they do initiate it, that there's power in it, and there's purpose in it, and there's meaning in it, and God sometimes works miraculously in it. So we will honor that. Here's the next thing. When and why to do it? When and why to be anointed with, oil, with the oil? In other words, if you're sick, when is it time for you to do it? Here's the simple answer. When you are led by God, when you are led by God, And the Spirit of God would chasten your heart, would speak to you, would bring you to life. And it says you need to call upon the elders. You need to call for them to come and to anoint you and to pray over you. Then as God's Spirit will lead you, that is an act of faith and an act of obedience and also that act of humility. When and why? Because God said so. God says so. Yes, he does. I hope that you have conversation with God. I hope you have conversation with God every day. I hope you have conversation with God during the day. I hope you have conversation with God to the point that you can recognize the voice of God. Whenever God speaks to your heart. And when God would lead you and he would say to you. Listen, you need to, what I want you to do right now, you need to call upon the elders to come and know what, and you pray, that you would do that. That you would do that. Yeah, but what's somebody going to think? Who cares? I mean, who really cares? You know, if God tells me to do something, I'm not really worried about what you think about it. I'm concerned about what God thinks about it, because I'm the one going to stand before him and give an accounting, amen? And and the the great thing about this is it's not in a public arena. This is the fact of you privately within your own heart saying, I want to do what God would have me do. and, And the church would honor that. The church would honor that by faith and obedience to what God said. Now, here's a very important thing. Number six, you need to write this down because this is important. Did a person not get well because they did not call the elders? Did you hear that? In other words, I've had people say, well, you know, my loved one died and if they would have called the elders, if they would have called the elders and the elders would have anointed them, would they have gotten well? That's basically it. Is the reason they didn't get well is because they didn't call the elders and anoint them with oil. The answer to that's no. Okay. They they didn't not get well because they didn't call the elders. Because you got to remember something. God has a sovereign plan and will for our lives, right? He has a sovereign plan and will for our lives. And, and God's going to function according to his will. And here's the reality of things. Sometimes God heals and sometimes God doesn't. Sometimes people get well and sometimes people die. And it's not based on the fact that they, one person has great faith and the other person doesn't have faith. It's not based on the fact that a person called the elders to pray, and somebody else didn't call the elders to pray. One was anointed with oil, and the other one. it's all according to God's will. Let me give you three examples of that. I'm going to give you three examples of three people in the Bible, all in the same book of the Bible, who were sick, and they all had different results, okay? The first one of those is Hezekiah. It's found in 2 Kings chapter 20. Hezekiah became sick unto death. But Hezekiah, you know what he did? He prayed and asked God and begged of God. And God sent him an answer. And God gave him 15 more years of life. In other words, Hezekiah was sick. But he prayed and he got well. Well, there's another king. His name's Ahaziah. That's in 2 Kings chapter 1. You know what happened to Ahaziah? He fell through some lattice work and injured himself to the point of death. And he was concerned about it, but he wasn't going to go talk to the man of God. So he sent some, some people to go get the prophets of Baal from Ekron. And whenever those prophets went to go, the, uh, the, the man of God met him and said, uh, why is he sending them to, um, to Baal's gods to try to find the answer? They're not a prophet of the living God here in Israel? And, and basically what came about is the judgment happened with Hosiah, and the man of God eventually is going to come, and he's going to tell him, listen, you were injured, and you were, you were hurt, and you will not get well. You will not get well because you did not know there was a God in Israel. You know, it gives the idea that he could have gotten well if what? If he had called upon the God of Israel. But he didn't get well. So here's Hezekiah, who's sick, who gets well, Here's another man who is sick or injured, and he doesn't get well, but there is the possibility that he could have gotten well. Well, here's another example. This is the prophet Elisha. It's in 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 14. It says that Elisha became sick unto death. That Elisha became sick, the sickness whereby he would die. And here's the reality everybody dies. Everybody dies Unless you're here when the rapture happens you're gonna to die too. All right And there's finally gonna be some sickness that you're gonna die from You're gonna die from something that's gonna to happen to you. All right But that's okay because that's the only way you get to glory That's the way you get promoted to glory either that or through the rapture You're gonna to get to go to glory one way. So sometimes it's the will of God for our people to die So here's the truth Hezekiah gets well. Isaiah does not get well. He could have possibly gotten well if he had prayed to the true God instead of Baal. And Elisha does not get well because it's time for him to go to glory. That's the reality of life. So here's the answer. It doesn't matter about that so much. It doesn't matter so much. What matters is the will of God. The will of God. And what does matter is for you to do what God tells you to do. Now, here's the truth that you need to take home. This is the truth. You already have received the anointing of the Spirit of God in your life. Amen. You don't have to have oil poured upon your head that you have the anointing of God. But whenever you're sick, spiritually or physically, and you feel led by God, call upon the elders to anoint you and to pray over you. If you're sick, And you feel led by God to do that, then have a humble heart and do it. But you do not feel that you must do it because God's spirit is to lead you. God's spirit is to lead you. And if God's spirit doesn't lead you to call the elders and anoint you, that's okay. That's okay. If you lead somebody else to do that, that's okay. You simply do what God would have you do, amen? I'm so thankful that we're anointed with the Holy Spirit of God. We don't have to have the oil poured upon our head. But I'm also thankful that God teaches us that if we need to, and he leads us to, we can humble ourselves, call on the elders, be anointed with oil, and watch the power of God work if he chooses to do that. The key is... What does God tell you to do?
0: That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.